morning, man. It's good to be here with you. My name is Ben Chapman. I have the um, uh, the honor to help pastor this church, Luminous Church. And uh, man, we're glad that you made it to our space today. Uh, there's a lot of good people that I saw come in through the doors. Uh, some old friends like Perry and some different people who were in my college ministry and just Grateful that you showed up today and just uh, to be able to partake in God's word. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 6 today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6 is where we're going to be in just a moment. Matthew 6, verse 6. As we continue our series, Metaphor, uh, we're, we're tracking along with one of our sister churches, Mid-Cities, out of Midland, Odessa, Texas. And uh, thankful for the content that they gave us through these graphics and video. It's been a just, just a great joy to be able to preach God's word alongside of them and just grateful that God has been here to just uh, begin to instruct us through his word. Now, today's metaphor is uh, very difficult. I've been wrestling with today's metaphor quite a bit this week. Uh, you know, there's, there's certain metaphors that are a lot easier to preach than today's metaphor. And so I'm going to do my best shot to preach through this metaphor. And I will say that um, just like any great metaphor, sometimes metaphors are just imagery or or uh, something to liken to something else uh, but sometimes you see this overlap that that there's actually maybe this this moment where the metaphor actually speaks maybe to actually some substance or so, to some realities uh, we we went into the lion the lion of judah and talking about god coming uh, as the lion of judah through the lion of judah and and as he did the scepter came and and he ruled and he reigned and in that rule he was able to defeat death as he humbled himself as a lamb, a lamb who was slain. And as we know, as John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, that obviously was a great metaphor. Uh, John is actually seeing a human figure, a person in front of him. And he says, behold, the lion or the lamb of God, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, and obviously Jesus was not a lamb, right? He was not a lamb. Uh, however, he did take the place of a lamb into the substitutionary atonement for you and, and mine sins. And so, so grateful for that. But today I want to talk about father. Everybody say father. Father is quite difficult as a metaphor because, as you may know, we're a very, we're a church who is very relational. We're relational with one another. We're relational with, with God. And uh, in, in that relationship, that's what father uh, denotes. And father is, is relational. He is relational, but this is a tough topic as we'll dive into and we'll discover. But God as father, God as father, it, 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 it echoes this cry of relationship to us. How many of you are glad that God's a relational God? It's not just some religion or something that you chalk up or something that you ascend to in your cognitive state, but he actually speaks to you in your very essence and soul and being. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful that he's created us for relationship, that he created us not just to sit in rows, but circles. He's created us to have conversation with one another, to grow with one another. And I, I understand if you came into our church today, maybe this is one of your first times in here. It's very difficult because you come into a theater and in a theater, you get a theatrical performance, don't you, oftentimes? Uh, we, we have our beautiful spotlights Highlighting the center of the stage, you have your comfy chairs, and some of you even got popcorn. But in the theatrical sense and the theatrical nature of our church, it can become sometimes more performance than it does community. And I, I just want to encourage you this morning is that, that the reason why we do this is not to create some amazing 
vocals, an amazing set from the worship team, and they did amazing, right? I'm thankful they brought their excellence. They brought their A game today. And we're not here just to hear some TED talk, some talk that we listen and find one thing that's tweetable and begin to tweet that and then feel good about ourselves for the rest of the week. We're hopefully diving into the word of God, the, the very Bible that we read, that we believe has life and death, that, that is be able to speak life into our dead souls, our dead bodies, and awaken us, awaken our ears, awaken our eyes to what God is doing. We hope that this moment in our church community, that it just isn't rows, but it becomes circles. And I'm thankful that some of you have opened up your homes for the last semester in life groups, and you've circled up, and you've talked about life, and you prayed for one another, and you believed for one another. You got to celebrate with one another. I'm thankful for those who said, I'm going to become a member of this church, and I'm going to go to growth track, and I'm going to find out what it means to serve alongside of somebody so that we can not just be here for one hour and done, but that we would grow together as we build together. Discipleship, as we note, is as you are going, is what discipleship is all about, as you are going. So as you leave this place, maybe you came in and you're not able to be on a serve team and you're not able to be in a life group. I pray for this one hour that you would feel a sense of spiritual family. Right? Maybe you haven't felt in a long time that there would be this, this, this spirit within our church that bonds us together and unites us together so that we would be family. Because I think if we become family, then what we're talking about, this metaphor today, Father, becomes so personal to us. Don't we need that? In a personal encounter with who he is. So Matthew chapter 6, this is Jesus speaking, the great sermon on the mountain. He's talking about prayer in this very moment. It says this in verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Jesus is talking about intimacy. He's opening the door up to a secret place for you to connect with the Father. How many of you are grateful for a secret place? How many of you are grateful that, that God wants to be that intimate with you? And he says, and your Father who sees in, in, sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words that the Gentiles and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they would pray in such a way that they wanted to be heard for all the things that they spoke. They wanted to be heard on the street corners, but they also wanted to be heard in this sense. God, if I just say enough, maybe I'll get your ear. If I just talk enough, if I say enough words, if I just beg hard enough, if I, if I just say enough words, then maybe you'll pay attention. And it's one of those things where they're striving for the relationship when God is just saying, hey, I'm already here. Speak simply. Because as you speak simply, I will understand. Aren't you grateful that your, your prayers do not have to be complex? For the most complex one it can be so simple, and I'm so grateful for that. And verse 8 says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows it. This is a good father. A father knows what you need before you ask it. We know parents in here. Like a mother knows their child. The mother knows when their baby is hungry, when their baby is sleepy. You just know it. Fathers know when their daughter just needs some time to talk. Fathers know and have this intuitive ability to understand your children like you understand your children. 
God understands you completely more. And when we fail to understand our children and when we don't know, just, just think about the fact, meditate on the fact that God knows the mystery. This is how much he loves you. This is how great a God is. Um, this is incredible because how many of you are like, man, I just wish my parents would understand. College students. This is what mom and dad would understand. I don't know if you grow out of that. You're 60 years old, man, would my parents just understand? But God understands, and this is what he's saying. This is what Jesus is saying, and he says in verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your Father knows. Your Father, everybody say your Father. Your Father. Our Father. He's a Father that's ours. What a metaphor, but... Could there be any more complexity in the metaphor into a relationship that's tangible? Brandy is Brandy. She's my wife. Metaphorically, she's my wife, but she's my wife. And this is God. This is what he's speaking. But this is hard, isn't it? Because I want to I address a couple of the complexities of father. When we hear father, when we hear the word father, what happens is our imagery may not line up with what we just read. Our attitude, our heart, what we're talking about may not line up. You see, father is very complex these days because, because father is becoming under attack like never before. They say that this generation, this next generation coming up is the most fatherless generation to ever exist. Did you know that the United States, according to the census data that's out there, has the most fatherless kids in a nuclear family? It's the most fatherless nation. Fathers are missing, and we know this, and I know, I understand, like, this may be sensitive, and you may be realizing, hey, my dad's not around. So I pray that this is a very sensitive message to you because I wanted to hopefully, hopefully reach out to you in a way that's healing to know that God is father for you. We know that 18.4 million children live in fatherless households. 18.4 18.4 million children under the age of 18 live in fatherless households. We know of that. 1.8 million have solo fathers. We have some single dads in the house today. The rest of those are with single mothers. Children are fatherless, and you know the stats. You probably know it as a single parent. You probably looked at the stats. You probably realized if you made it to church today, you realize you actually don't want to be a statistic, that you actually want to overcome that, and that's a great place to be. You're in a great place today because the house of God, the church is a great community that comes around those who are trying to do this in a single way, but you know the stats. You know the statistics of how many how much more likely a child will end up right get, getting uh, so many stats. They'll end up getting in prison. They'll become all these statistics. I don't even want to say because some of them are not that great. It's imperative that, that, that kids have fathers. We know this. Our mission as a church, right, to raise up godly men and godly fathers it's a mission of the church when we see the absence of an earthly father that we come alongside of those who have that absence and come and help 
Come alongside of them because that's God's heart to the fatherless. See, a father is so important. We know this. I think about my son. Any dads in here have boys, right? A few of us. How many know that boys like to wrestle? They love to wrestle. One great thing that a father does for his boys is wrestle his boys. Can I get an amen? And you know, the, the, sometimes the wives are like, hey, y'all need to quit wrestling. Y'all need to calm it down. And then you kind of bow up and say, no, this is what it is to be a man. We wrestle. And I want to tell you it's good for fathers to wrestle their sons. Because all of a sudden, the sons know their limits. And isn't that what a good father does? Puts limits around his son. No one they've gone too far where this will hurt yourself or it will hurt someone. You see, that's the, the presence of a father in a household is the ability to bring in this moment of, hey, this is healthy. And this hurts. I've hurt my son before. Off record. Please don't report that. I've taught my son how to tap out recently, how to tap out. I'm only going to go so far. It's good. But Jesus knew this. When Jesus comes onto the scene, he, he's about his father's business. In Luke chapter 2, we read about where do we find Jesus? When he's away from his parents, we find him where? In a house. Whose house? The father's house. He goes, Mom and Dad, didn't you know where I'd be? I'd be in my father's house because I need to learn from my father. Because that which life has presented, I need my father. And to realize that to fully find fulfillment of anything that I'm longing for is only found in my father. I need him. I need to be there. I need to be praying. Don't you realize the house is called a house of prayer? Communication between Jesus and the father. And Jesus comes on the scene, and when he does, he does a reintroduction. He reintroduces you and me to, to what a father is all about. He introduces us to the relationship. He introduces us to what it would be to know God as father. Jesus brings it into a very intimate place, a very personal place. And this is good because I'm going to tell you right now, we love to make up our images of God, don't we? Am I the only one? I want God to be like this. I like to make up my own metaphors. Anybody else? And you sound piffy in your Bible studies and in your life groups. But in actuality, you may be stepping into some heresy. Because God may never claim that metaphor. It's important for us to look at these metaphors and look how God describes himself and not attribute things that he doesn't speak of himself in his word. It's how we get into right alignment and right thinking. This is important for us, but did you realize that in the Bible, uh, whether your Bible's on a phone or you bought your paper Bible today, there is enough in there for all of life and all of eternity to know him and to be known by him. And I got some charismatics going, wait, what about tongues? Hearing the voice of God. There's nowhere in Scripture that God will contradict himself to you that doesn't align up to there. It's alignment. And we need this level of authority. In fact, in 
400 AD. Try not to digress too much. And you have the canon of scripture. The canon of scripture came about because this is what people would do. They would attribute certain metaphors and certain likings, and they would bring, introduce things that are contrary to what God has already written and spoken about himself. We need the canon of scripture. We need the authority of scripture over our lives. Do you agree? If so, say amen. Amen. Four of us. Still getting there. Knowing God as Father. The ancient Hebrew scriptures refers to God as Father about 15 times or so. It's never in a way that's personal for every individual. It's more Father to nation or Father to a king, but not Father to contributed or attributed like Jesus is teaching us right here. And yet Jesus comes onto the scene and he speaks. Totally different than the ancient scriptures. Totally different than the Hebrew scriptures. It's why they called him a lunatic. It's why they called him a heretic. And it's why they began to attack him. Because he was speaking in a way that was not readily understood and even blasphemous. But Jesus comes onto the scene and he speaks. And no rabbi or Hebrew scholar had done this. In fact, if we look throughout history, the first time that we see any Hebrew scholar or rabbi refer to God as father is not until 1,000 A.D. But Jesus uses this word over 65 times. He talks about the father, God, and relationship with him. You know what he does? He invites us to be a part of it. Matthew 6, 8, do not be like them for your father. Everybody say, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Your father, my father? Speaking to a crowd on a hillside, speaking to all these who gave attention, he's saying, your father, my father. Oh, he's making God very personable here. He's moving religion to relationship. He's moving a distant God to come into proximity. You realize the temple was not very filled with his presence at that time. And yet Jesus comes in scene and he starts speaking. There's so many blessings that he gives, the blessings of the Father. What does this mean that God is Father? What does it mean for us today? What does it mean for you and me? What are the implications? Well, there's a great blessing. When we call God Father, when we know him as Father, the blessing in Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba. Everybody say, Abba. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. And as we understand this word, it doesn't mean like a toddler looking up to his dad and saying, Daddy. Knowing him as father. It's in your adulthood and then you're growing, knowing him as father, dad. My dad's sitting right here. Hey, dad. It's knowing him like that. Father, dad, Abba. And what does he do? He gives fatherhood. He gives this covering and he breaks off fear. He breaks off fear, 
off your life. This is what Romans 8.15 just said. He is not going to put a yoke of slavery on you, a slavery that, that, that just surrounds you and moves fear around you. No, he's breaking that off for you have received adoption, meaning just like Jaron said, you have been grafted in, you have been adopted, and you will cry out, Abba, Father. Fear, when fear comes, right? What do children do when fear comes? Any of your kids have bad dreams? What do they do? They scream. They run to your room. They get into the bed with mom and dad and they say, man, I had a bad dream. You pray over them. You comfort them. You cast out fear. You love them because love casts out fear. Where love is, their fear can't remain. This is what happens. He is, a, he is a perfect father. God is a perfect father. Perfect fathers are not passive fathers. There's no passivity in God the Father. He was very purposeful. Perfect fathers protect. They protect their children. Perfect fathers provide. Perfect fathers are always present. They always show up. Perfect fathers know how to discipline and love and create boundaries and safety for you and around you. Perfect fathers bless you. Perfect fathers are good. Are good. Mark 10, 18, I believe. Where, where Jesus is saying, there's no one good but God. There's no one good but God. That good is inherently good. Born good. All good. Not just do good things, but everything about them is good. And this is what a perfect father is. He is good. How many know we fall short of being perfect? I am no perfect father, but I know a perfect father. A perfect father helps me in my fathering. A perfect father helps our church in our fathering. This is what he's called us to do, and he moved us into a place of adoption. Everybody say adoption. We are adopted by God, and this is kind of where the metaphor comes about. See, we are not actually born, right? We're born again of his spirit, and that is a moment of being born in God, but God only has one begotten son. His name is Jesus, and you and I have participated by believing in Jesus, turning away from our sins, confessing that, trusting him, and in that moment, there was a legal moment that happened for you and me. We became adopted sons and daughters. Adopted. John 1, 11, 12 says this. He came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He gave us the right to be born of God, to be born again, to know him. That, that our dead soul, our dead life, our distance, our orphan spirits is now made right into a family. John 14, 6 says, Jesus replied, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way and the Father becomes the destination for you and me. Jesus is the way to the Father, to have a relationship with him. As we realize 
when the lamb was slain, it paid the price for us to be adopted, to become sons and daughters. 1 John 3, 1 through 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. I wish we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. He moves us into this place, and we've talked this year about the paradox of the, of the here and not yet, where we're in this in-between, but there's this moment as we're adopted, as we believe, as we have this resurrection faith, we start growing as children of God, and when he comes, it changes, and we move into this new kingdom like never before. It's what God wants for us. So it's Thanksgiving week. And here's the great news is when you have a father, it makes you thankful, doesn't it? It makes you thankful, thanking the father. Colossians 3.17 says this, and whatever you do, whether it's word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the father through him. And we have the opportunity through Jesus to give him thanks, to be thankful how many of you didn't realize it's hard to be thankful? Oh, man, I have a hard time to be thankful. I, I feel like I, sometimes I, get, I have a have-to spirit versus a get-to spirit. You know, where I have to do something versus getting to do something. I have to go to church rather than get to go to church. I have to worship rather than get to worship. I have to love my wife rather than the opportunity and privilege to love her. I was calling Jarvis the other day. It's just like, it's just like second-hand language for us. He's like, man, what are you doing? He goes, I have to go get some Coke for my wife because she's making this recipe. And I, and I go, you have to? Don't you mean you get to? He goes, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. I get to. It's amazing how our language, we have a right spirit, we have a right heart, but sometimes the language doesn't match the heart or attitude or the spirit. And I just pray that as a church that we start growing in our language. That in our word and in our deed, that they would start coming into a great alignment, being thankful for what God has done. Being extremely grateful. Being entitled. When I think about being a son or this next generation, I think about entitlement. I mean, the boomers were entitled, right? The Xers were entitled. The millennials were entitled. Gen Z was entitled. Uh, generation, what's the next one? It's Gen A? I don't know. Do we start over? Feels like they're always entitled. But entitlement, we see throughout Scripture, entitlement is all about not knowing your sonship. Entitlement is, is trying to grab something that you feel like you're owed. But what I love about God, our Father, is He has not entitled you, but He has chosen you. Chosen means you're no longer oppressed, but liberated. You're no longer bound, but free. So many traits of the Father that we read about Colossians 3, 12, right before this. Traits of the Father that are 
compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. And we're instructed to be such people that we're kind and gentle and lovely and that we would clothe ourselves. Scripture says, clothe yourself with these things. Clothe yourself with the garments from a father. Clothe yourself. I'm praying that as a church, whether your father is present or your father is absent, I pray that we would know God. We would know him as father. And as we know him as father, we find these traits coming around and being put and placed on us. My question is, is this, this week, how have you do, been doing with the traits of your father? Have you been reflecting him? Do you look like him? Do you smell like him? My mother is here and she could still describe the smell of her father. There's a fragrance, and when you get around that fragrance, right, you, you smell like you've been around your dad. Do we have that aroma? So two applications for us. Clothe yourself with these fatherly traits. Where you're impatient, ask for patience. Where you lack love, ask for compassion. The second thing is that we would count our blessings. There's nothing like thanking God, thanking him for being a father to the fatherless. It's by counting our blessings. We often in the holiday season think about, man, I'm not married yet. Man, we don't have children yet. Man, my father is no longer around the dinner table. My mother is no longer here. Think about our brothers or sisters, and maybe they're no longer serving Jesus, and maybe they disowned you. We think about what we don't have oftentimes, and it grieves us and it pains us. But I want to tell you what you do have. You have a father who loves you, who wants to know you, who's invited you into a secret place. I want to right now just read this poem as a prayer over us by Ralph Waldo Emerson. You know him. He was a poet, an abolitionist, a philosopher. And it says this. I believe we have it to put on the screen. For flowers that bloom about our feet, Father, we thank thee. For tender grass so fresh, so sweet, Father, we thank thee for the song of bird and hum of bee, for all things fair we hear or see. Father in heaven, we thank you. For blue of stream and blue of sky, Father, we thank you. For pleasant shade of branches high, Father, we thank you. For fragrant air and cooling breeze, for beauty of the blooming trees, Father in heaven, we thank you. For this new morning with its light, Father, we thank you. For rest and shelter of the night, Father, we thank you. For health and food, for love and friends, 
for everything thy goodness sends. Father in heaven, we thank you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning? Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are a great father who loves your great children. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now this metaphor would not just be abstract to us, but it would become the realest moment of our lives for the single dad, for the single mom, for the orphaned child. Psalm 68.5. He is a father to the fatherless and an advocate for widows. God rules from his holy palace. And God, thank you that you moved from a palace to the earth. From the earth to the cross. From the cross to the grave. From the grave back up again so that we can know you. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.